through 37, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions. Is this sounding familiar? So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. Once upon a time, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, I wish Greek had quotation marks because I feel that Jesus would have put them in. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Then a temple assistant, a Levite, a priest by birth, I should say, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do you sometimes wish you lived in simpler times? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of simpler times, I think of my childhood. I don't know if the times were simpler, but my awareness of issues definitely was. So in effect, I was living in a simpler time. One of those things that takes me back, and I thought about actually playing the music, but then this is on the podcast, so copyright issues. But how many people are brought back to their childhood by, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please won't you be my neighbor? Howdy neighbor. Oh man, I love that man. <laughs> you know, uh, he was one of the fixtures 
of my childhood. And somehow, I, I always am going to wonder if a part of the reason he took that neighbor tack was something of the Christian heritage in our culture that comes out in ways we don't expect with people who are both Christians and non-Christians. It just seems to show up. Like how many people say, oh, you're being a, a real good Samaritan, aren't you? They don't know what it means. They find out it goes back to Jesus. Wow, a lot of stuff does. But I love those simpler times. Those were the, back in the day, those were the days when I might in school say something like this. And I, I ran it by a resident English teacher today and she gave me the answer I expected, but even more precisely. I said, what if, if I was in school and I was a, a, one of the children you were teaching, Miss Patricia, and I said, uh, excuse me, can I go uh, outside now? And the answer was, well, you certainly are physically able to go outside. The question is, may you go outside now? I mean, we remember that and that's fun. But I'll just ask you this. We're talking about the story of the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor, and an expert in the law. Have you ever run into an expert in the law? What I like to call a persnickety theologian. Now, it could have just been someone who loved these theological questions. And honestly, I love to just talk theology, especially with someone who has a different perspective than I do and can help me see things I haven't seen before. But I have the feeling he was a persnickety theologian, and by which I mean this. Um, how many times have I slipped up in front of the wrong person and said, Whew, wow, that was really lucky. What's the reply? Oh, that was really a blessing. Oh, that was really a blessing. Now, I know it's a blessing. I, that was just a figure of speech. But, and that's the ones I grew up with. The ones I went to seminary with were like this. They were so concerned that we would get the wrong idea about God and any questions of gender that Scripture became sort of like this. For God so loved the world that God gave God's one and only Son. And they stumbled over that, but Jesus was His Son. That, that tendency lives and grows in all of us if we give it uh, temptation. And it's not just the funny, cute kind of things. It's the things that, if we let it, can get to the point where it leaves a really bad taste in another's mouth. Because at some point, it becomes less about making sure that we're doing what we ought and more about getting it right and being able to tell others that they're not. Well, let's be generous and say that this particular persnickety theologian, this expert in the law, was simply wanting to get it right, and he wanted a precise answer. So let's look at that question. Now, people have talked about this parable, talked about the Good Samaritan and the two that passed by without stopping in a number of ways. But if we look at the specific question that he asked Jesus, the question was, who is my neighbor? In other words, where are the boundaries where I show my concern? Now, I 
can't love everybody, can I? That would be just totally exhausting, wouldn't it? And I could imagine Jesus saying yes. It actually is a little exhausting. One of the ways we insulate ourselves from feeling too much pain in a world where bad news travels faster than the speed of light is sometimes we just say, well, there are these things that I cannot think about. There are some things that I cannot dwell on. And that's, that can be appropriate. Like a person who works in an emergency room or a person who works with people who are very troubled, they have to give so much of themselves, but they can't go all the way headlong into it or they'll lose themselves in the pain of others. So I understand that. But on the other side of that, if that goes too far, that turns into a, well... That's them. And they're not me. They're not us. And that's really dangerous. Even nowadays, there are places in this world where people look at them and say, well, they're not really us. They're others. They're not really people or persons. And that even goes with what... Lori and I like to look at our Native American little bit of heritage. It's funny that if you're in the South and you've got one half of one chromosome that is Native American, you brag about it, you know. So you go try to find that great, 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 great grandmother who was like friends with Pocahontas or her. Actually, we have one who was Pocahontas's sister in our family tree. So there and you're just like, oh, that is so neat. At the same time, you look through some of the tribal names and what they meant, and a very large proportion of the tribal names, for instance, the tribal name of the Cherokee, which wasn't Cherokee, it was something else that started with an A that I can't pronounce, simply meant the people, as in we're the people. We're people. You're not people. We're people. And that's a very dangerous place to be in. You want to bring it to something that is very modern. One of the largest struggles in our present society is over whether an infant before it is born is a person or not. So see, that that category makes a big difference. So in a way... This person was saying, who is my neighbor? That was another way of saying, who is me? Who am I to treat as a person like myself or loving my neighbor as myself? Who is in that circle of people that I would say that applies to? And who's outside? Because that question presupposes some are going to be outside. Who is my neighbor? So Jesus told him this story where you have these three people who went by. And if you focus on that narrow part of the question, who is my neighbor? You can almost see the three just falling out naturally. The first person, the priest, sees the man who was beaten, maybe dead, And he is so selfish, he doesn't even care to see if this is someone he knows, someone who is from his village, someone that he, as a priest, might have responsibility for. He just sees trouble. He sees someone that might make him ceremonial unclean if he's dead. And he moves to the other side 
And he can say, oh, that was you? I had no idea that was you. The second person who comes by, not a full priest, but a Levite, someone who was serving in the temple, he was born to it. At least he went over and looked, but then he passed by also on the other side. And you can almost see that falling out. Oh, what's, oh man, I don't want to get near him. Maybe I know him. Uh, If I know him, I better do, I don't know him good. And he passes by on the other side. Neither of these men were willing to sacrifice anything of themselves. They weren't willing to sacrifice their time or their wealth or their ceremonial cleanliness. Their ability to serve in the temple. If he had been dead and they had touched him, how long would it have been? I think it would have been days before they could serve in the temple again. Would have been a big inconvenience. But this third man, now notice that Jesus made this the man who was by definition not in the same group. This is kind of like a story that J. Ellsworth Kalis told concerning this parable. He said he broke down in the... Not quite the red light district in town, but where he broke down because he was trying to push his gas to get to the next gas station so he didn't break down. He was just being dumb, he said, was right across from one of these places where uh, there was a certain type of dancing going on. You, you, you got my meaning there. Okay. And there were two guys outside who saw him broken down, out of gas. And they came, hey, can we help you? Well, it was just I was being dumb. So, oh, I know what we can do. You ever sucked gas out of a hose from a gas tank? That taste kind of lingers, doesn't it? So they got the hose in their car and got it running. Then put a little in his carburetor, put just enough in his gas tank to get him to the next gas station. While this was going on, he was talking to them and found out these two men were the ones who helped recruit the ladies and helped open and took care of the business. They were working for the guy who owned it. And Kalis said, and part of me felt like the person who had been waylaid on the side of the road thinking, oh man, why didn't the priest stop? Why was it the Samaritan? Why was it the one, why, why couldn't it have been someone from the Sunday school class down the road who came and helped me? He had a trouble even receiving help and God taught him a lesson through that. Well, this might have been the way the hearer of this parable was taking this. A Samaritan helped him, the ones with which we are enemies. It would be almost like telling the same story today. I've said this a hundred times, the story of the good Palestinian. It would be very alike in kind. So this third man, seeing and knowing that this other would consider him not of the people, still took care of him, olive oil, wine, 
bandages, puts him on the donkey. He walks instead of, instead of riding himself. Takes him to the hotel, gives two days' wages worth of money to the innkeeper and says, take care of him. If there's any more that's owed, I will pay you on my way back. Who is my neighbor? Who do I put on the outside of the circle of neighborliness, of love, of loving you as myself? Jesus' answer to this man, knowing he's wanting to justify his self-setting these boundaries, said, no, there is not a boundary there. Loving your neighbor as yourself is responding to that call that God gives you when you see the need and meet the need. That is loving your neighbor as yourself. Because really, if you wanted to find it, who is my neighbor? Everyone. Because each and every one of us, no matter background, no matter situation, no matter the sin that weighs us down or the spirit that lifts our feet, it's every one of us is a person who was created in the image of God. Each person on this planet, from the oldest person to the youngest, is an image bearer of God. That is our connection. So they're all our neighbors. And sometimes... Love is extravagant. Sometimes love must be tough. But love is to be shown to all. But that was that narrow question of who is my neighbor? The question being answered, everyone. You're not to make those divisions and boundaries that your culture is telling you to do so. But what was the motivation behind the question? The expert in the law was wanting to justify his own actions. You ever found yourself trying to justify what you just did? Are you a human being? We do this. The question behind the question was, wait a minute, now the two parts of the law were Loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself. But, you know, like, what about whenever here's someone who doesn't love or follow God, or someone who is the enemy, and in helping them, Am I not showing love to God? Well, if God told me I do this and this and this practice, if I violate that practice to help another person, am I not loving God? And see, the first love is all about loving the real, the true, and the living God. But we as broken people often try to define ourselves by what and who we are against. Is that something we can argue? No. In other words, how can you be my neighbor if you're on another team. And this is something that Jesus was dealing with all the time. For instance, every time he healed on the Sabbath. What were the Pharisees worried about? Oh, you're not one of us if you're doing this. Oh, well, I know he's, he needs healing. He can wait another day. Oh, you're saying that even though this is in the 
one of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, you're going to violate this by working, and Jesus keeps pushing against this and pushing against this. It is not a violation of the Sabbath to do healing upon the Sabbath. See, Mr. Expert wanted to prove to himself that he was spiritually doing well. Am I okay with God? Am I okay with God? Is he looking at me? Okay, I think I'm all right, but am I really all right? Jesus directed him instead to be concerned about doing good. That's interesting. Am I doing well with God? Okay, are you doing good to others? That's an interesting redirect. For in these examples, the priest and the Levite were both expected to be the holiest among the Jewish people. They were the ones expected to have it correct, to have it right. They were supposed to be the experts, the ones who put it into practice. They were supposed to be holy and sanctified and sacramentally pure. But in this story, trying to preserve their holiness... They are violating the holy actions that they could be taking. And the Samaritan, who was supposed to be the least holy of the three, took the holiest action. See, here's the thing. The priest and Levite and the expert were being very spiritually selfish. The expert asked, and who is my neighbor? Jesus was saying, love the Lord your God and love others. Those are both outwardly focused love. And what does the expert do? He turns it back in on himself. Okay, so if I'm doing this outward thing and this outward thing, then I'm okay, right? And Jesus says, no, take this away from you. Put the focus back on the other and upon doing God's kind of love upon them. Now, what this means for us. When I was going through this and at the end of last week's uh, sermon, I thought, you know, I just want to spend a little more time with the parable of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> One of the things that was drawing me back to it is that sometimes in this day and age where brokenness is all around us and is in our face so very much. It's easy for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it's easy to get a little exhausted. It's thrown in our face every time we read a paper or watch the news. And that temptation voice of despair comes and whispers and says, Oh, you just can't make a dent. Well, if you do this, it's just going to be the same over here. What are you? You're just one person. How much of a change can you really make? And then, hopefully, 
God brings to mind something Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For in due season, you might not see it immediately, you might not see it for a while, but in due season, we will reap the harvest of it if we do not give up. See, in the parable, the Samaritan just happened by, again in quotes. But he was there. He saw the need that was before him. He was there. He was local. This was something he could make a difference in. And he didn't choose to say, well, that's not one of my group. That's not someone on my team. He didn't choose to say, well, there's another one that, you know, somebody should really do something about this. He decided to make a difference in this particular person's life. In other words, the Samaritan, and by example, all of us are called to resist the temptation to make God's calls to action be a call for us to say, I'm okay, right? And just focus on how well we're doing. But instead, to stay focused upon the need that we see and that we know that God is calling us to. Because it's not about fear. I know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's in Proverbs. But never read that without going to 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is something there that goes to the heart of what was difficult to overcome in the law. The fact that whenever God said, don't do this, that that made doing this, whatever it was, seem all that more attractive to people. And thinking so much about how not to do these things wound up in those things being done. Instead of thinking more and more about what are the things we need to do. I think the way Mark Lowry put that back in the 80s was, if you're thinking all the time about not doing the don'ts, you wind up doing the don'ts. But if you think about doing the do's, you wind up not worrying about the don'ts. Did that make sense? Who's on first? Doesn't matter. Yes, we must regularly and honestly examine our relationship with God to see if it is healthy. Yes. But must we live in fear, in a fear that stunts our love for others and paralyzes us with this danger of, am I about to do the wrong thing? Am I about to do the right? I don't know. No, I don't think that's where we're supposed to live. What we must remember is that God is love. And this is the God who reached down from heaven, reached across. As a matter of fact, God reached across that barrier of divinity to humanity and became one of us. And redeemed us. 
So what we are called to do is listen for his prompting where we can show his kind of love to others. And that, although these things are important, that does go beyond what's the best translation or what's the best style of worship or what are the best songs. It goes beyond those questions I love to talk about for an hour, like what did happen to the dinosaurs? Yeah, way too much, I know. It goes beyond the things that send us into a place of fear. We are called to see the need, not be overwhelmed by all of them that we see, but just to find the ones that God is directing us to and do our part to be the body of Christ. So let's end it today with the words of Jesus. Through the presence of the Spirit, by His empowering of us, by the example of Christ, and with the love and grace of the Father. Go thou and do likewise. Dear Lord, let it be. Amen and amen. Our hymn of commitment, A Charge to Keep I Have. That is number 413 and also on the screen. We invite you to stand as we sing.